Again, the reading is Acts 2, verses 40 through 47. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done throughout the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is God's word. You may be seated. So I have a couple things I want to dive into before we get started. Number one, this is a personal request, but on Thursday, I am uh, having surgery. I'm getting uh, part of my thyroid removed. And so uh, that is thyroid. I didn't even know that we had a thyroid um, until I found out I had one. And it was growing too large. So uh, on, on my left side of my neck, uh, you might see a larger part of my neck. That's an enlarged thyroid. And so it's not because I do these massive neck muscle lifts, you know. Um, and so uh, I know it can be confusing sometimes. But um, so I've been getting it monitored over the last couple years. And uh, it's not showing any signs of slowing nor shrinking. And so uh, I'm going to go under the doctor's knife on Thursday. Thursday. So if you could be in prayer for me, that's uh, Thursday at 2 p.m. And uh, I'm a big baby, you know, just pray for my fears. So I went on Friday evening to the hospital, Friday at 1030. There's a little boy, his name's Ezekiel, and he was having a liver transplant. And um, his liver failure started. A donor came in. God miraculously provided. And, and that night, I just thought, man, it, they need a pastor to go and pray for them. And so I, I went and I prayed for them. And little Ezekiel's three years old, and he's getting ready to undergo an eight to 10 hour operation at starting at 1 a.m. And I thought, I am a big baby. <laughs> uh, good news, Ezekiel is doing well. He's doing well. Uh, they have been a part of our sister church and um, uh, his, his folks, Alex and Angie, I've watched God do some really cool stuff in their lives. And this is something that we're watching as well and uh, we're invested in. So, um, so pray for me. And then the second announcement, really exciting, um, is uh, we are going to, starting on September 30th, uh, we are going to have Crosspoint Espanol join us in this downtown YMCA as their gathering place on Sunday mornings with us. Uh, this is really exciting. Yeah. Um, so uh, a little bit of, of how this all transpired. Crosspoint Espanol has been in the Lake Nona area. Uh, they have had, they've known they'd had to leave their location and uh, they wanted to stay as close as possible to the Lake Nona area, but that became increasingly more difficult because there's not a whole lot of secondary meeting spaces like this in that area. And if there were, they're already full. And so they have, uh, Miguel and I, uh, we, we started praying together. We started dreaming together. He and his wife, Carmen, came with me, did a tour of this YMCA. 
And we just said, Let, let's just see what God does. And, it, and if this is something that, that you see is good and, and that we see is good, then we are trusting the Holy Spirit to bring it about. And so over the last month or so, we've really dived in. The, the downtown YMCA leadership is super excited about this. And what this is going to look like on Sunday morning, starting September 30th, we're all coming into this place to have a worship service together. So Crosspoint Espanol is joining, and you're going to have two preachers preaching. So be ready for a long one. Me and Miguel are preaching. And so it will be a lot of fun. We're going to have some kind of celebration after service. Uh, we're working out the details for that. And, and then following that, Crosspoint Espanol will meet in the gymnasium, uh, and then we will meet here in the fitnasium. And uh, a little bit of vision behind this is that there are many people within Orlando whose heart language is Spanish. Uh, that was the language that they grew up learning. That was the language that they learned uh, how to worship God in. And it is so important that we see that people can worship God in their heart language. And not only that, we know that there are many unreached that speak Spanish within this city that we want to have the opportunity to reach. It is the second largest or is the first largest minority demographic in Orlando. Downtown Orlando is also ground zero for that. And so we see it as a wonderful opportunity to point people to Jesus Christ. You're going to love having them here with, a, with us. I promise you that it'll be a lot of fun. And so uh, we're going to learn together and grow together with them. So let me pray for this. Father, we ask for an outpouring of your spirit upon our church. That, Father, together with Crosspoint Espanol, we will reach this city in the name of Jesus. God, that you would cause us to be radical in your name. And that, Father God, you would not allow any um, language barrier uh, to get in the way of people knowing you and worshiping you. In Jesus' name, the church says, amen. Okay, um, we're going to get right in uh, because uh, I have a lot to cover with a little bit of time. You might remember we have been in the, the book of Acts. Uh, Luke is the author. Uh, the same author who wrote the gospel of Luke is also writing the book of Acts. The book of Acts was not a sequel. The book of Acts was the second part of a two-volume work. Luke had had in mind when he even began to write the account of his gospel of Luke that he would also write an account of the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. I know we call it Acts of the Apostles. I like to call the book of Acts the Acts of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one that is doing this phenomenal work through the apostles. And so as Luke is writing this book, I can't help but think that, that this Luke is a doctor. And I've been going to the doctor, and I've been seeing the doctor, and I've been going to enough doctors. But, but also, I, I, want, I want you to know that if you are a part of the family of God, you take part in care in the health of those around you like a doctor. We are not all physical doctors that see the care of the physical body, but we are all spiritual doctors. We are all people who participate in the well-being and care of one another. And this is a beautiful picture that you see when the Holy Spirit is poured out, when he falls upon his people, he begins to work through them in this spiritual care. 
in this spiritual empowerment, in the spiritual work that brings about transformation of Jerusalem and to the ends of the earth. And so know here, friends, that you don't have to have a pastor by your name. You don't have to have a missionary by your name. But you as a Christian and as a follower of Christ are one that God has called to be a spiritual doctor like Luke. A spiritual doctor in the care of others. And know that even this morning you might have that opportunity. And know that as you leave this place, God will certainly use you in the same way. Acts 2 verse 40 and 41. And, when many, uh, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So we're catching the tail end of the explanation of Peter's sermon. Peter had just preached the first sermon ever for the first church. And what is his first sermon composed of? Well, Peter was telling us about Jesus. Peter was telling the people that were in Jerusalem that saw this miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the evidence of it. He was telling them that this was something that God had foreordained. From the beginning of the world, he had foreordained this moment so that they would know about Christ. So that Peter would testify about Jesus Christ. A little bit of note about Peter that I want us to regard here for a moment is that this is 50 days after Peter denied Jesus three times. I think there's a significant thing that we need to look at here at the courage of Peter from the moment Jesus was brought into execution and crucifixion where Jesus denied him three times just as Jesus predicted. The same Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same one who saw fit to use this treasonous man and forgive him and powerfully, powerfully set him up To exalt his name. I think that's important for some of us this morning. Because we know that we have denied Christ. We have failed Christ. We've sinned against a holy and righteous God. We feel like we're useless. We feel like disappointments. I can't help but think how much Peter must have felt like a disappointment. But yet the Holy Spirit and his power came over And upon Peter, Peter realized the massive weight of forgiveness that he'd received. And it gave him courage and confidence to where he spilled out of that other room, that upper room with the 120. And he began to proclaim with boldness and courage the majesty and glory of God in Jesus Christ. little summary of his sermon. You can find it in verse You could find it in verse 29. He says this. I'm sorry, not verse 29. Verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourself know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. 
By the hands of lawless men, God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So this message of Christ was one where Jesus was delivered up by the hands of lawless men. He said, you crucified him. Speaking of the audience there. You crucified him. Many of these people might have been around for the Passover, may have been around in that time period with the, the, during the events of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Many of them probably were not. Many of them had come in, come in for this feast and weren't around in that time period. But Peter says, you crucified Christ. I think it's important that we realize that the you here that Peter speaks is one that transcends all humanity. It's not that just the people that were there were the ones who crucified Christ. I think it's important that we realize that it was my sin that held him there. That it was my sin that put him on the cross. If we don't see that our sin is the sin that Jesus died for, then we won't see that, our, that it was our sin that was the sin that Jesus forgives. Because we will see it as something that doesn't belong to us. We'll see it as something that was not my problem, that I had no part of. But if we see it as sin that God dealt with in Christ before the foundations of the world through His Son then we will see that our sin is a sin that God so lovingly forgives today. And how does he forgive that sin? Through the sacrificial offering of his son 2,000 years ago. And it's an event that means everything to us today. And Peter's call here in verse 40 and 41 is a call to repentance. It's a call to repentance Verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. When Lily, my youngest daughter, was small, we would would play out in the driveway and we would often play with a ball. And one of the times that we were doing this, it was me and Lily that were just outside and the ball kind of got away from her and she was like a little wobbly she was just learning how to walk and run and she was you know just just kind of like a bouncy ball all over the place and and so this ball got away from her and starts going out into the road and then I I hear this car coming from the distance and it's coming pretty quick and Lily is going after this ball and and you know she's chasing it after pretty good I was thinking surely she's going to fall before she gets there and she's not and the more I see the car coming the more I see Lily heading towards headlong disaster and it was not me just sitting there calmly saying Lily come back Lily Lily please stop hey Lily no it was me saying Lily stop don't go And she heard me and she freaked out and she started crying right there and the ball went into the street and she wondered what had happened. But she stopped in her tracks. And what would have been a sure disaster was her stopping and her life was saved. That's the message to the crooked generation that Peter is proclaiming. You are a part of a generation that is moving headlong into death. You are part of a crooked generation that's moving headlong into oncoming traffic. And he is pleading with them to turn. 
He says, save yourselves. This word crooked generation, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, is not simply an indictment upon the generation there, but it's an, it's an indictment upon all of humanity. All of humanity is a part of the world's system that says God doesn't matter. That's the nature of the crooked generation. Now, we, we tend to look at the Bible and see people in two ways. Are they good or are they bad? We don't even look at the Bible in that way. That's much of the way that we look at humanity today is there's good people and there's bad people. And we see the good, goodest people, the good, good, good people like Billy Graham on one side. And then there's the really bad people like Adolf Hitler. And then there's the spectrum of goodness and badness that has us somewhere towards the, the kind of the, uh, the upper third, maybe like the 75th percentile of goodness, right? We kind of place ourselves there. I'm not that bad. I'm not that good. But I'm kind of good. And we, we have this spectrum by which we look at the world around us. And, and then it makes us kind of justify ourselves and say, I don't really need God all that much because I'm pretty good without him. And the world defines goodness in that way. Well, well the Bible defines goodness in two categories. There's the righteous and the unrighteous. Is what the Bible calls it. And then in Romans 3.23 it says, No one is righteous, no not one. So the Bible has two categories for humanity. There are the righteous and the unrighteous. And the Bible declares, the word of God declares, that no one is righteous, no not one. And it's important that we see that because if we see the unrighteousness of humanity, then we find ourselves the unrighteousness, uh, unrighteousness of ourselves, and it causes us to long for the righteousness of another. And that is the nature of repentance. Are you believing that today you're good enough? Because Peter's message was not that. Peter's message was there is nowhere that you can come to the there is no way you can come to the presence of God without the righteousness of Christ. His call to save yourselves is a call to turn to Christ. And that's the nature of repentance. That's what that's how you define repentance. Repentance is turning from the way you've been going and turning to Christ. That's the 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 call that God places upon us with repentance. That's the application of Peter's sermon. You're going the wrong direction. You've got to turn around and go the other way. And the other way is towards the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him, who, he, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. How is the unrighteous made righteous? Well, God made him unrighteous for our unrighteousness. God took the unrighteous, the punishment for the unrighteousness of a sinful human race and placed it upon his perfectly righteous son so that in him we might have righteousness that we might become the righteousness of God that is a transformative work that can only happen by the power of the Holy Spirit you, you can't say here today that you made yourself a Christian 
You can't say here today that you, in and of your own strength, turn to the righteousness of Christ. It's only the Holy Spirit who shows us that we are going headlong in the wrong direction. And it's only the Holy Spirit that shows us that the right way to turn is to the way of Christ. Notice that it was the Holy Spirit who poured out on that time, in that place, and brought about the message of Christianity. And with that message, it says that they received the word and were baptized. Have you received the word of the Holy Spirit, the word of God? The Holy Spirit is not your feelings. The Holy Spirit is not kind of this this gut feeling that you have that tells you if you are right or wrong. Certainly the Holy Spirit can use your feelings, but the Holy Spirit is the one who writes the word of God on your heart. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He takes the word of God from the pages of the scripture and then he convicts you like a dagger in your soul. That's the repentance that the Holy Spirit brings about upon us. And that's the repentance that we need to receive today. When Scott prayed the prayer this morning as we gathered around the circle, his prayer is that all here would come to repentance. Whether you've known Christ for a long time or you're just coming into a relationship with Christ today, the prayer was that we would have a unified attitude among us. And the attitude was one where we are turned toward Christ and away from the idolatry of this world, the things that we fall head over heels for. That's the beauty of of the gospel is that it turns us towards Jesus. Acts 2.42, love this. It's one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Acts 2.42 through 47. Uh, his, his name is J. Vernon McGee. He's a pastor that is deceased now. J. Vernon McGee says that this is the fingerprints of the authentic church. How do you know that there's an authentic church? Well, there's these fingerprints. And what are the fingerprints of the authentic church? So, I can't forget 3,000 were added to their number daily, those who are being saved. The massive work of God brought about a Christianity that turned into a message that brought 3,000 to Christ that day. That was the church. That was the start of the church. And that 3,000 that came to Christ that day, the Holy Spirit moved and moved in power to where, verse 42, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. That's one of the marks of authentic Christianity, is that they devoted themselves to the word of God. They devoted themselves to the word of God. Uh, N.T. Wright, who is a scholar and commentator, he takes that word devoted, and he actually says that it that we can often lose the sense of what that word devoted means. He says devoted means to give full attention to something. To give full attention to something. I I found that pretty helpful because we live in a world of multitasking. We live in a world where our attention is often divided. And the word devoted here is a word that is meant that we give full attention to something. And what are we giving our full attention to? We're giving our full attention to the word of God. We're giving our full attention to God's holy and majestic word. And that was something that took 
that took place in that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. The apostles' teaching is right here in the scriptures. We have it in the New Testament. They didn't have a New Testament back then. They didn't have the Gospel of Luke back then. They had the words of God and Jesus Christ through the Old Testament. They had the works and words of Jesus that they taught to the church in that time period. But there was a devotion. There was an attention that was given to the word of God. That is no explanation but other than undivided hearts given over to God's word. Here's the question I've been asking myself is where is my attention taking me in other places? Where am I just giving partial attention to God's word? Do I really regard this word as Jesus did? Jesus himself says of the word of God, man shall not live by bread alone, but but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's our sustenance. We need This word. And if you wonder why you're starving, I just want to tell you very pastorally and loving and with a rebuke, if you wonder why you're starving, maybe it's because you're not giving full attention to the word. Maybe that's why. And when I'm starving, and when I feel this lack of focus and this lack of nourishment in my soul, maybe it's because I'm not giving full attention to the proper place. God wants it. And that was what we saw in the beauty of God's people is that they lovingly devoted themselves to the word of God. The next thing to devote themselves is to the fellowship. To the fellowship. We're called to give our full attention to the fellowship of others. What is fellowship? Well, fellowship is this nature that we have amongst one another where there's this love that transpires that the only thing that can cause us to have a supernatural unity among us and love among us is that God's presence is with us and that God's presence with us compels us to love one another no matter how different we might be, no matter how annoying we might get to one another, no matter how... Uh, no matter how difficult it is to love one another, there's a genuine love that comes from the fellowship of God's people. And it's not like a fraternity or sorority. It's God's people. We come from the same family. Our source, our Father, is God. And because God is our Heavenly Father, it really means that as you look around one another, you, you are brothers and sisters. You are brothers and sisters. And we begin to treat one another in that way. And being brothers and sisters means that we love one another. You have family members and your family's probably jacked up, right? I just know it. I'm, it's prophecy here. Your family's jacked up. So is mine. Yeah, but you love your family, don't you? You love them. No matter how difficult to love them you are. And sometimes you wish it wouldn't be so difficult because it's costly, isn't it? It's costly. And so is the fellowship of the saint. It's difficult. It's costly. It causes us to say, why? Why? But, but I'm telling you, friends, it is a supernatural knot that God ties amongst his family. A little gospel math for you. Time plus love equals fellowship. Time plus love plus gospel equals fellowship. 
Part of the, part of the deal is just showing up, like being here. You, you need to, if you're going to have any good relationships, it, relationships are going to thrive with time, right? But they also thrive with love. There's a lot of relationships that I devote time to that I don't particularly love. And I don't really have to love, and that's okay. But it's not really fellowship. It's because I'm on the phone with a bank or something like that, and i got to devote time to it. Seriously, why do I have to make this phone call? Why do I have to go in and make an appointment? Those type of things. There's not a fellowship there, but there's a fellowship among God's people because we give time and we give love. And the other part is, it, is that we're devoted to the gospel. The gospel has transformed those relationships. Do you know what the gospel does in the fellowship of the saints? It says grace. You're covered under grace. So it means that you don't have to come here and pretend and perform and try to win people over by faking it or trying to make it till you break it, right? You know that you can be genuinely loved for the sake of Jesus. That's the nature of fellowship. Here are some one another verses. I'm going to move through them pretty quick. Galatians chapter 2. Bear one, another bur- one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Ephesians 4.2. With patience bear with one another in love. Ephesians 4.23 or 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. First Thessalonians 4.18, encourage one another. And then Hebrews 10.24 and 25, and let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Fellowship has in mind the day when Christ draws near and it says, I'm going to help you get there. I'm going to help you get there. We're going to be a part of that with each other and that the God's spirit would produce it. Number four, there's a devotion to the breaking of bread. Most commentators or scholars on this passage are in agreement that the breaking of bread was reference made towards the Lord's Supper. That there was actually a meal that they would gather for. And as they gathered for this meal, it was like a feast. Acknowledging that they come under the provision and grace of God. And they would eat together. And they would eat together a lot. Can I get an amen with that? Amen. They would have a great feast together. And in that feast, there was a reminder of communion. Of the Lord's Supper. The remembrance of Christ. The broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. I remember when we had someone here one time, they were not used to the idea of taking communion every week. And they said to me, won't it get old if we take communion every week? And I said, well, you know, it'd kind of get old if my wife said, I loved you every week, but I'd really like her to say, I love you every day. So no, I don't think it'll get old. The problem is, is that if I get sick of my wife saying, I love you, then the problem's not with her saying, I love you. The problem's with my heart. So it is with communion. If we struggle to see the beauty and authenticity of Christ's work in communion as we take it each and every week, then the problem is not the, the act of the Lord's Supper. The problem is our hearts need to be made right with God. And communion points us to that reality, doesn't it? Points us to that reality. Number five, they devote themselves to prayer. Into the prayers. John Piper says the, riding tide, the rising tide of prayer precedes the flood of God's spirit. 
So God's spirit came upon them. God's spirit continued to work on, on them. And God's spirit continued to pour, uh, pour out through them. And there was a riding, rising tide of prayer that preceded it. That, that, that we would acknowledge this. We want to see God at work in our midst. Are we a people of prayer? In particular, corporate prayer. This is not just talking about prayers individually. This is the communal context. Are we a people that are gathered for prayer regularly with one another? We try to give opportunity for prayer before our services on Sundays at 9.15. Once a month, we have a time where we'll gather here for an hour and we'll pray together. Once a month, asking God's Spirit to come and come in power, lifting up the needs of the, of the body, lifting up the needs of our city and our community. Prayer must be woven into the fabric of our church. And you, as individuals, must be a part of that fabric as well. Prayer is not just for part, for part of us. Prayer is for all of us. And I implore you to pray for your church. Pray for your pastors. Pray for one another. Pray for this, this, this work where God's going to use Cross Point Espanol here with us. Pray that God's Spirit would fall upon us. Tony Merida says, a healthy church is a praying church. A healthy church is a praying church. Pretty simple. How do we gauge the health of our church? Well, it's in the prayers of the saints. Are we offering up to God our best through prayer? Next, we see worship. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed together had all things in common. So the first four you see, full attention has to be given over to those things. God's word, full attention given towards the fellowship, full attention towards the Lord's Supper, and full attention towards prayer. When full attention is given over towards those things, worship is the result. Worship is the result. Uh, a pastor up in New York City, his name's John Tyson. Tyson, he says, attention leads to adoration. What you give your attention to, you will adore. What you give your heart to, what you undividedly give yourself over to, will, be, will, will bring in you in awe and adoration of. That's why we give our worship to lesser things, because somehow we think that this thing is going to bring a satisfaction to us. But what the worship of God does is it, is it pushes away the idols to the side and it brings to bear the full reality of who Christ is and what he has done and all comes as a result of it. This past week, as we met for our community group, we dropped Camden off at basketball here at the YMCA, uh, Coach Eddie. Woohoo, Coach Eddie. Coach Eddie and, and his wife Natalia brought him back after a group. And, and one of the things that I was reminded of is the life change that has taken place in, in your guys' life. And you know what happened? All filled my heart. All filled my heart because God has done wonderful things. That we would be a church that realizes that God is doing magnificent and wonderful things in our midst. And we would see those things and we would cherish those things and we would give glory and honor to God as a result. The next thing that comes from this is generosity. Generosity is a mark 
of the early church, authentic Christianity. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So when God becomes everything to you, everything else becomes expendable. Remember that. When God becomes everything to you, everything else becomes expendable. Nothing is more important than him and the people that he has put around you. And so when a need arises, the stuff that you can give to meet that need, the money, the time, the energy, those things are given to, well, to the well-being of the body. And you are part of that doctor work. You are taking care of the body of Christ. If a need arose, they viewed their possessions as a way to meet those needs. And God, through the giving of their possessions, met those needs. And so literally no one among them was without need. We live in a city that's full of need. We live in a church even here that's full of need. The anecdote to that is to worship God with all of our hearts, all of our soul, and all of our strength. And the second of it, Jesus says, is like it, to love your neighbors as yourself, to care for them as you would care for your very self, your very family, that you would devote yourself to one another. Are you giving over that which God has called you? Do you view your stuff as yours or do you view it as God's? It's not, I'm not just talking about 10%, not like you get to keep nine and you give God one. Sometimes we just try to get a pass for that. Like, is all of your belongings, does all of your belongings belong to him? And are you generously stewarding those things for his glory? And if you need help, we'll help. We'll help. And challenge me towards that because I know as much as I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. Because, man, I like a comfortable and convenient life and money buys me that. At least that's the lie that I believe. But there's a freedom that comes when my hands are loosened from that which I'm holding so tightly so that I could cling more closely to my Savior than my stuff. Generosity. Finally, multiplication. Multiplication. And day by day, attending in the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. Glad and generous hearts. When we have the meal today, Oh, we're watching the football game. Go Dolphins. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Get some amens out of you there. <laughs> when we're watching the football game, may we do it with glad and generous hearts, even if the Dolphins lose, which they likely will. <laughs> may we realize that we come under the provision of God, like the sparrow who God provides for, that we see day in and day out. God provides for that sparrow. I wish it would stop whistling in the morning and waking me up, but God's providing for it, right? He's providing for us. He he is not going to let you go without. And even if he does, he takes you out and redeems you and saves you. Your future is certain in Christ. Know that he's going to multiply his ministry through you. Just like he multiplied his ministry to the early church. We are here to the ends of the earth today. 
That's the, that, that's the work of the gospel. Now there's more ends of the earth that we have to go to because not every tribe, people, and language, and tongue has been redeemed. God is going to do it. And he's going to use you for it. When we were at my community group two weeks ago, I think we counted six or seven different countries that were represented within the 12 people to the ends of the earth. America is the ends of the earth, by the way. It was like, who's America? Like, what's, what is that? What's English? No, that was God's redemption. And God has brought it about. And he's going to multiply that work through us today. I want to close in asking you these questions about authentic Christianity. I told you I've been going to doctors a lot lately. So we're going to call these the vital signs of authentic Christianity. Right? Going to the doctor, get your blood pressure checked. You got to get your blood work done. You put this thing on your finger that checks your pulse. We need to check to see, do I have life? And if I'm exhibiting life in Christ, I want to ask you four questions. One, do you have a hunger for God? Do you have a hunger for God? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, for they shall be filled. Do you have a hunger for God? Do you consume his word? That's one of the biggest questions I have for you to answer that. Do you consume his word? Do you find satisfaction and fulfillment in the word of God? Do you sit under the preaching and teaching of God's word? Do you obey it? Do you walk in it? Do you live in it? Is that satisfaction being filled where it only can be in God? Number two, are you in the midst of loving fellowship? Are you in the midst of loving fellowship? I'll tell you, our church is not perfect. And if there's an area that I want to see us grow in, probably the most out of these, it's this area of loving fellowship. Help us. Devote yourself towards it. Be a part of it. Where you see a gap, where you feel some loneliness, even in our body, and you can see it in somebody else, go to them. Meet that need. Feel it in yourself. Ask for it from others. Be a part of it. Be a part of the fellowship of the saints and meeting in community groups and are gathering for prayer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says the physical presence of other Christians in your life is a source of incomparable joy and strength for the believer. Do you have a heart of worship? Do you have a heart of worship? Are you focused on the wrong things? Attention leads to adoration. What are you adoring? What is the thing that you just can't get enough of right now? And is that thing a distraction? And where do you need to refocus your attention to where your heart is undivided towards a love for the Lord? And finally, are you living on mission? Are you living on mission? Do you realize that God wants to work through you? Do you realize that God did not just save you to put you in this nice safety net, this nice box so that you would never leave it? No, God saved you to send you. God saved you to send you out into a lost and broken world and reach people for Jesus in the name of Jesus. Who are the lost people that you're praying for? Who are the lost people you're inviting over for dinner? Who are the lost people that you find yourselves regularly heartbroken for? And if you're lacking any of these things, come to our good Father who gives good gifts today and ask Him for them. And I tell you, He will change you. When we take communion today, be reminded that we are commanded to receive the Lord's Supper. 
And that command is a command that says we are to forsake any righteousness in ourselves to receive the full righteousness of Christ. And as we take communion today, be reminded that his body was broken and his blood was shed and his perfecting power lives in you today through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you. We receive your word, Lord. We receive your word. With glad and generous hearts, God, we come to you and we take this broken body we dip it in the cup and we receive your spilt blood knowing that forgiveness has come and that right now, God, there's a work of sanctification making us more like you that's taking place. I pray that in all of our hearts is a spirit of cooperation, love, and grace. We ask for your presence, Holy Spirit. God, I pray that we would feel, feel, your amazing power as we close out this worship service and that God it would truly send us out to see salvation sweep across this land. Use us in Jesus name. Amen. I'm going to invite our ushers up for communion. If you believe in Jesus as your forgiver, leader, and Lord, that communion table is open to those who trust in Christ. If you have any questions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, I'll be by the Get Connected table. Some of our team will be there. Feel free to ask questions. We'll help you know what it means to be a follower of Christ. Join us as we take communion. Stand with me.